Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Trek Talk with Tech and Kirk. I'm TechMan16. And I'm Strange Kirk. Today, we're going to talk about something a little different. We're going to step away from the Star Trek Fleet Command game, and we're going to go back to where it all started, to Star Trek. Um, we have a very special guest with us today. He is J216 and the founder of Project Defiant. Jay, how are you doing today? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, pretty great. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. Um, so let's let's kind of dive into what is Project Defiant. Right. So uh, Project Defiant is uh, well, it's a project that we started uh, a few months ago to try to get Deep Space Nine specifically. Uh, to just have a general higher resolution than it currently does uh, to really enhance the viewing experience. Ideally, we would want to take it to 4K, and we can do that, although it, it really doesn't compare much to native 4K, right? So the idea is just to get it uh, to be the best resolution it can be uh, with the available material being the DVDs. So what do you upscale the DVDs to? So our process, without going into too many details, we can discuss that in a minute, uh, we upscale first to 4K. Uh, however, again, that doesn't really compare much with uh, a true 4K video, uh, like from a, mo a modern TV show. Uh, so after we upscale it to 4K, we pass it through um, Handbrake uh, software and bring it down to 1080p again, um, which is still higher than the original resolution. And we use an HEVC codec, uh, 265, uh, to get near lossless compression. Uh, so that we can have a just much smaller file size to make it more accessible to the public. We do plan on releasing both versions, the 1080p and the 4K. All right. Um, so let's let's go back in and uh, start at the beginning. How did you get into Star Trek? Right. So I actually started with the original series. Uh, I, by sheer luck, uh, watched the second season um, without really any context or really knowing anything about Star Trek. And uh, I was fascinated by uh, the characters, Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, Chekhov, Sulu. It was really amazing. Uh, and I loved the stories, the character development, the adventures in space were really something else. And when I finished, it was it's actually pretty funny. Uh, it took me a few months to even find out that that Next Generation existed. Um, and by the time I did find out and I started watching it, I had the what I would call the typical Trekkie experience of saying, this is not Star Trek, what is this? Uh, seeing the Enterprise-D for the first time was really off-putting. Um, but obviously, by the time I finished The Next Generation, it was you know, just a whole amazing experience, and it immediately became my new favorite Trek. And then after that, well, you know, obviously Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise. Nowadays, you also get uh, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, and just keep pushing on, right? So uh, do you like New Trek? The new track being anything from 2009 onward? I think it's got its charm. Uh, so far, uh, only at the time of recording, only the first two episodes of Lower Decks have come out. Uh, I am not fully convinced that I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not against it. I'm glad it exists, and I'm glad if other people enjoy it. I'm just really not that into it. Uh, personally, I don't really like the idea of Mariner's character, but I'm hoping the writers will to develop her a lot more um, and show the depths of uh, what she's been through. And I think that would be great. Otherwise, uh, Discovery and Picard, I'm not too into just generic science fiction explosion. 
you know, kind of adventures. Uh, I prefer the more mystery or character driven stories, but you know, I enjoyed them. Uh, I have, I own copies of, uh, discovery and, uh, I, I'm still trying to get my hands on, on Picard. I don't know if it's out yet on DVD, but as soon as it does, I'll get it if I can find it. I, I don't think it's out either. Yeah. I, I usually have to wait a little bit before it comes out. All right. So what will be your favorite series then? Is it Deep Space Nine? Yeah, it's Deep Space Nine. So it's actually a close <laughs> tie. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely Deep Space Nine, but it is a close tie with TNG. They're very different shows. Um, I enjoy both of them quite a bit. Uh, the Next Generation, I like the um, individual stories, right? So it's uh, more episodic. I, I can just sit down, watch it, and really enjoy it and really think about what's going on. Uh, in Deep Space Nine, I can't just watch an episode. There are a few episodes here and there that I enjoy watching occasionally, but I, if I'm going to watch it, I watch the whole series from start to finish. I can't not do that. It usually, um, yeah, because it, it's more of a, I don't want to say modern nowadays, but that's the, the episodic storytelling was much more, uh, or much better done as opposed to you know what TV in the 90s was like, where it's like, oh, okay, one-off episode, don't have to worry about it, move on to the next one. Yeah, definitely. And it, there's just a charm to that as well. Now that you... I want to ask you something about Deep Space Nine, and this is completely off the wall. Have you watched Babylon 5? I have not, and I've been meaning to. I actually... That's part of the reason why uh, I started Project Defiant, Years ago, after my first time watching Deep Space Nine, obviously the connection to Babylon 5 is huge, right? And uh, I wanted to get into Babylon 5, and I tried watching it, and I just... for the I, I, Again, I got into Star Trek with the original series, so I know what it's like to watch science fiction that doesn't have the best special effects, but I just couldn't get over it. I, I, I tried really hard, but I couldn't. So that's part of the reason why I decided to upscale Deep Space Nine. It made me realize... You know, there's probably a lot of people that are not watching Deep Space Nine for this exact same reason, that they just can't get over the quality. Um, so I'm hoping one day I might be able to go into Babylon 5 in the same way. So <clears throat> you mentioned something about the special effects. Now, I'm going to get quasi-technical here. When you're at a 4x3 resolution at 240p in the 90s, airing on TV, it doesn't look so bad. But I'm assuming now with 1080p technology and a, a 16 by 9 resolution frame, with all the flaws pointed out and and the uh, the inherent noise that was generated by CGI at the time, is that, in your opinion, what you think? Why people are turned off by some of this 90s uh, sci-fi that's really good storytelling, but just, just can't get over the whole like eye cancer deal? I think it's a big I think it's a big factor yeah I mean personally for me and with a few of my friends it's the fact that 90s special effects looks kind of like clay uh, I don't know it looks kind of soft uh, not really textured properly because like you say um 90s televisions you couldn't really make out the textures anyways so why spend the time and the resources texturing everything um and you can compare that even with like big motion pictures like uh Toy Story the original one um from the 90s it's com if you look at it nowadays on a modern television, uh, it just looks, again, like clay, uh, very soft. Uh, and it really just, it's not very pleasing to the eyes. It kind of, in my experience, breaks away from that, um, you know, 
from being immersed in the story, just looking at something and saying, that's not, that's not right. You know, especially when you have live action mixed in where you, you can immediately compare it with like a character's face and then a spaceship and you can just see the contrast. I, I think what's worse to me is, uh, when you, when you mix in those 30 frame per second scenes along with the 24 frame per second scenes, and it's just that, that to me is more off putting than the soft texture of the CGI. That, that was a big pain in the upscaling, by the way, <laughs> dealing with variable <laughs> frame rate. It's terrible. Uh, 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 all right. So let's, let's get into that. Wow. How and why did you get into project defiant again? Right. So I, I kind of already mentioned, you know, like I, I, I really, it really occurred to me that, you know, people are not getting into deep space nine because of this. It's, it's a barrier for entry. And I, I, at least in my experience, deep space nine seems to generally compete with next generation in the fan base for which one people think seem to think is better. But when you talk to non Trekkies, they don't even know deep space nine exists. So if they even try to get into it, the barrier for entry is so high. You don't want to, not to mention that the first and second seasons are not the best. They're not terrible, but they're not the best, right? It just adds up and makes people not really want to watch it. So a few months ago, uh, or about a year ago, um, I was working on a separate project uh, where I came across this uh, AI upscaling technology. And uh, when I looked more into it, there were a few people in the Trek community and in other sci-fi communities uh, who were sort of putting out sample upscales. Uh, and the most common one for, for Star Trek, at least, was with uh, Sacrifice of Angels, with the battle scene. And uh, with, the, with the DS9 documentary coming out, um, a lot of people were mentioning how that particular scene in, in Sacrifice of Angels looked so great, regardless of how it was upscaled. Uh, the documentary upscaled it directly with actual access to the resources, and then the AI was able to do a very similar job without having to actually well, spend all the time or money uh, that the documentary did. So a few months ago when the pandemic uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic um, was really starting to come into effect in, in the United States, uh, I, I was still reading about these uh, upscales. And I realized that uh, it was going to be the perfect time for people to binge watch series uh, and for people to really start to get into either Star Trek or whatever series you wanted. Uh, and this barrier for entry was going to come more into effect. And at the same time, I had more hand, more, more time on my hands. So I decided to go all in. Um, I did a few test productions with, uh, with a few friends. Um, where some had more powerful machines, they had different setups, we tried a few different softwares, uh, and we eventually you know, got to the point where we had the proof of concept and, and we kind of decided, you know what, this is worth it. Uh, we realized at the time, by the way, um, that the first three seasons, for some reason, didn't take to the upscale quite as well, and I can get more into, into that in a minute. Um, but you know, even, even with that limitation, uh, it still looked so much better. And it was just worth the time and effort. So we invested um, some relatively large amount of money to get a setup that that could actually just crank out episodes that could work 24-7 upscaling and upscaling and upscaling and processing. Uh, so we did the whole first season in 4K and we posted it on Reddit, uh, you know, saying, if you guys want to help, feel free to come on in. You know, we want all the help we can get. We just want 
we want to be able to release this to the public as fast as we can. And a lot of people contacted me and a lot of people uh, were very interested. Some unfortunately didn't really have the required hardware in their computers, but others did. And in total, in Project Defiant, we've we've had around maybe 18 to 20 different people um, from around the world, all helping with uh, different episodes, uh, some more than others. And well, we just finished uh, finally upscaling season seven. And currently, again, at the time of recording, uh, we're just going going through uh, doing some quality uh, quality assurance. We've noticed a few episodes that just don't hold up. Uh, maybe there was a glitch. Uh, maybe there's a problem with the episode itself. Uh, we don't know. But we're going and redoing them. And we hope to release everything uh, maybe later uh, later this August um, and, you know, no later than September. So it's really a community project. And uh, it's it's gotten some pretty decent results. And we've also noticed that there's other people who've sort of who have their own versions of this project who once uh, they saw that people were actually doing this, and that was part of the reason why we wanted to do the first season and just release it on its own. When people saw that this was a real thing they could do, more projects started popping up. There's Project Pathfinder doing Voyager. Uh, there's uh, some individuals who've uh, decided to do 960p uh, upscales instead of 4K because there is a, a sort of uh, point of diminishing returns, right? So there's different uh, versions to this that have kind of come about, and we're really proud of that. We We, we want... We want there to be more variety in the track you can watch for everybody to be able to pick their own, uh, you know, what matters to them, right? All right. So you mentioned that you upscaled. How does, and you mentioned the visual effects are kind of a barrier to entry. Does the AI help with that? The AI upscaling help with the CGI or does it need to be redone? Certainly helps, it, especially more in the latter season, seasons four through seven. Uh, one of the points that we use for reference and for comparison is the intro sequence. So if you look at the intro sequence in, for example, season five, and you look at one of the original episodes versus one of the upscaled episodes, there's a very clear difference. It almost looks like uh, the CGI has been redone. That It looks that good. And one of my favorite things, and I actually, um, I was with a friend when we, when we did this first, uh, this first test and we laughed out loud. It was so weird to us that the AI was actually able to refine the stars in the opening sequence. So when you have that sort of comet or asteroid coming by the, the first shot in the opening, and then you pan out to see DS9 and there's so many stars in the background, the AI is able to individually grab each star and make it look so much better. And then it also inserts extra stars in the blank space. But, and we're still not even sure how it does this. It doesn't just randomly add stars everywhere. Like if you just have a dark room um, with a few lights, you know, indoors, there's no stars added. But when it's outside in space with stars, it does. So the AI is really, it's doing a magnificent job. Now, of course, it's never going to be exactly the same as if you used modern technology and modern VFX artists to fully redo the scenes, especially in those first three seasons uh, where it just doesn't take to the upscale quite as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it definitely helps. You know, it, it uh, makes it easier on the eyes. So, uh, all right, you mentioned the seasons one through three. Why do you think that uh, there's such an issue with Season 1 through 3 as opposed to 4 through 7. 
Right. So we, uh, we do have a member on our team who works with special effects and has a lot of experience with codecs and, uh, especially like legacy, legacy codecs and legacy devices. And, uh, we're not a hundred percent sure why it is, but we believe, uh, their hypothesis is that it probably has to do with the way that the episodes were originally stored. So the first, we believe the first three seasons were stored in a different way to the latter seasons when they were eventually released on DVD. Uh, they, that, that sort of compression that they went through, um, adds extra artifacts that to the human eye look pretty much the same as the artifacts in the later episodes, the low quality of the later of the later seasons but to an AI makes it really hard to interpret what's going on. Um, we've checked the, the original DVDs. They have the same bit rate. They have the same, um, no aspect ratio and everything, but uh, we believe it does have to do with the way they were stored. Other other projects, Project Pathfinder with Voyager that I mentioned earlier, uh, they encountered a similar project with Voyager. So uh, it's not specific to DS9, and that kind of backs up the idea that it might have to do with how they're stored early on in the series uh, versus how they're stored near the end. And that has to, that has to deal with how it goes from film to digital storage, right? Not necessarily. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The film itself, because that could that could be uh, right. the source. W- w- what I'm getting at is like if you take the source material as as what Viacom CBS did with TNG, you can actually get a much better image than using an AI upscale. Oh right, yeah, of course, definitely. I mean, film is a uh, full analog storage, and uh, it has some inherent. Um, uh, superiority to digital storage in the in, in in the fact that it's it doesn't have an intrinsic quality. It, you have the grain and the film size, and yeah, that kind of limits the resolution. Uh, but modern televisions haven't even gotten close to matching the resolution that you would need to to be able to see the grain of the film without doing zooming or anything. So uh, basically, if I remember correctly, the grain of film is something equivalent to like 12k resolution or something something in that order so it really doesn't even come into effect it more so has to do with how they were digitized so back in the 80s and 90s and you can see this with the original tng dvds before they were upscaled um the way they were stored in in this optical media or magnetic media first for vhs uh had a lot of compression and you really lost a lot of color information you lost a lot of uh accuracy in in like the, the lines how well defined they are things like the stars again um and well that really just kind of stacks up right uh versus near the end of the series uh it's likely that they used a different compression algorithm or a different codec to minimize those losses the film should be pretty much the same quality as tng right so um I know you mentioned that you want to you want to release this and you want to, you want to have for people to have variety in the Star Trek shows that they watch. What is your ultimate goal with Project Defiant? Do you want and I mean this by qualifying like do you want Viacom CBS to really you know get off their horse and say like look, people will pay for this material regardless of what we do. So if you release your own version, it's better than anything that we could produce. Yeah, no, that's definitely the end goal. So actually, when we started the project, we floated around the idea of maybe making some kind of uh, Kickstarter or um, some other, you know, donation-based project 
so that the the money earned from that could then sort of be sent to CBS or Viacom to sort of say, hey, look, people are paying for this. Here's your money. We don't really want this. But this is evidence that people are willing to pay for it. We obviously didn't do that because it makes no sense legally. Uh, it just puts us in more danger. And, you know, why make people pay for something when it's not even professionally done, right? Um, but at the end of the day, what we want is for CBS and Viacom to just look at it and say, yes, people are interested. And also, yes, this is possible. This whole project, specifically Project Defiant, started with one person and one computer. And they were able to do the whole series after with, with, with help of other people, right? So if one person can build up enough uh, momentum to do this on their own without, un, without anywhere near the amount of resources that, that they have, can you imagine what they could do? Uh, if they rented out a rendering server, or they probably have some, uh, just for a couple weeks, they'd be able to do all of all of DS9 and Voyager and Enterprise uh, for a fraction of the cost of any any production that they're currently working on. And of course, you'd probably still want to go back and redo some of the special effects, especially in Enterprise. So DS9 was at that sort of golden age where they still used models for a lot of things up until the end. And then the special effects that they have with CGI near the near the end of the series are honestly quite limited. They didn't really like what Voyager did with Spe Species 8472, where it's all CGI, or what uh, Enterprise did with the Zindi when they're sort of climbing around the hull and doing weird things. Where again, they're almost entirely CGI. Um, so you would have to redo some of some of the assets, but it would still just present a fraction of the cost and we want cbs to notice that and at the same time if they never get around to it if they never do it somebody has to uh so you know may as well be us here it is and maybe in a year two year five years we'll have better technology and somebody will be able to redo this again and it'll just keep on increasing in quality and allowing for an ever better ds9 experience you know or voyager or enterprise experience yeah, I, I know in my experience when I when I dabbled with VFX technology, it it doesn't take a lot, you know, to put together a scene. Now I, I say that very liberally, um, not a lot, but you know, somebody with VFX experience could recreate some of these scenes with the technologies that are available now, and just splice that in. You know, you could take your upscale version, somebody just as a fan working on VFX, making these uh, CGI scenes, splicing them in, and you'll have a 4K video that's just as good, not better than the original. There's actually something very interesting, and I haven't really talked about this anywhere, and I haven't seen anybody else talk about it. Um, but without going into too much detail, um, I have a PhD in a relevant background. There's a new technology that's being uh, developed where precisely the idea is where you have uh, 3D models, very high quality, high detail 3D models, and you have a video that uses these 3D models. So for example, you might have the high res version of the Defiant, and then you have the low res video from an episode that has the Defiant. Uh, and then you can feed this into an AI, to a, a computer, that will basically determine each individual frame of the of the video that you fed it, um, what the angle was with the model and where the models were placed, and it'll render it. So you really don't have humans doing much of anything. You just need the humans to create the assets, feed it into a computer, and the computer will redo the entire scene for you. 
And I think it's, that's still in development and that's still, I, I'm not working on it, by the way, I should clear that up, but it is still in development and there are people working on it. So effectively kind of like a motion capture? Basically, it's kind of like a motion capture, but with uh, computer vision, where it sees where the where the object is without having any trackers, since it's just an old video. And when that finally comes and, and becomes like available publicly and commercially, I think that'll be the right time for CBS and Viacom to, to take the old episodes and finally do a full upscale with CGI and sell it. And at that point, I think it will be worth, you know, whatever a Blu-ray DVD costs nowadays be it 40 or $60. Uh, so you mentioned earlier about, um, you were talking about, you know, there's some unnecessary risks and, and things like that. What kind of risks are you taking doing this? Uh, for my identity, you mean? Just, just for, yeah, just for anything yeah, in general. Evidently, we don't know who you are. For, so for those of you listening, no, we don't know who this is. No, we don't know this person's real name. No, we don't know anything about this person, so don't even ask. But... Um, what what are the risks associated with what you're doing? I think it's a great idea, and I I love it, and I love the fact that somebody's taking initiative. Um, <clears throat> but you know, what are some of the risks associated with this with this undertaking that you've that you've started? Right. So uh, first, there's a few things I should mention um, in case anybody wants to do something like what what we're currently doing. Uh, Inherently, the upscale process is not illegal. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have a DVD of a series that you love, you can take that DVD, you can rip it into your computer, you can upscale it, and you can use it yourself. You can even burn it into a new DVD and watch it on a television. What you can't do legally is redistribute or please do not sell it. That'll just get you into even more trouble, okay? So we at Project Defiant developed a, an upscaling guide to help people do this at home. In the worst case scenario, we want people to be able to watch the highest for uh, the best quality version of the series that they love. So that's available. You guys can get that. Um, and uh, we'll mention how you can how you can contact me for this file or get it online later. Uh, but I just want to get that out of the way. You don't have to take a risk if you want to upscale. Now, personally, I have. Uh, the biggest risk here, and I'm perfectly well aware of what I'm doing, is that you're not allowed to redistribute this material. The fact that we at Project Defiant are uploading the material, distributing, uh, distributing it worldwide over a torrent or over private, uh, private uh, file sharing services, that's not legal. And obviously, uh, in uh, me as a person, I don't want to get in trouble for this. I don't want to hurt anyone. And I've always encouraged the best way to get CBS to notice this project and to realize that they can do this is by buying the DVDs. And I've pushed all of our members to buy the DVDs of whatever episode they're upscaling and preferably to buy it from a firsthand retailer if they can find it. So buying it used, unfortunately, uh, doesn't really send any message to CBS because, well, they can't know who's selling what in used material. But if you can get it on Amazon or some other local store, that's just better. So again, new. Um, now, in this redistribution process, uh, there are ways that CBS can track who I am or where I'm at. And for that reason, none of the other members of Project Defiant have been made public. Uh, I, J216, I'm the only member 
who is connected to the web and distributing these episodes, and I am the face of this project, I don't want anybody else even risking getting in trouble since this was my idea. Uh, having said that, I've taken many precautions uh, to try to limit uh, the tracking that can be done. Uh, I use a VPN, as by the way, you should too, the, irrelevant and irregardless of whether or not you're doing anything illicit, VPNs are just great. Uh, so I've got a VPN, I've got a backup VPN. Uh, I'm using something called ProtonMail uh, for a mail server to be able to contact uh, our members and uh, the outside world. That's an encrypted mail service, which is just more difficult to get the information out of and to track who's sending what. And obviously, whenever you're doing these kinds of things online, and again, this is just a great tip overall, you don't really want to reveal anything too personal about yourself. You don't want to, you don't want anybody to be able to dox you, basically. And that's always a danger online. Right, exactly. So this just I just kind of wanted people to understand the risks associated with this, because as you've already covered, um, you're obviously not going to make any money off this. Uh, this is not for financial gain, correct? Yeah, no, no, definitely not. We don't want to make any money. Right, right. This is this is for this is to drive a point. This is to bring enjoyment to fans. This is strictly all it is. It is a pet project for you to be able to bring what you enjoy to thousands of other people. Um, <clears throat> so we. If, if I can mention one more thing, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, if you do end up, if you listener do end up. Uh, downloading any of the ep any of the episodes or seasons that we or anybody else have upscaled, beg you, please try to also buy the DVD, especially if you can get it new or even a VHS. I don't care if you can get a new source for this physically from a store. Please do it. That's the only way that you can get CBS to notice that you're interested. You know? so please just try to get the DVDs yourself. With the with all the things going on. As far as your, as far as assets concerning computers and technology, I mean, what all do you have tied up in this? I mean, it, obviously, it can't be that cheap. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not. So uh, our first uh, upscaling rig uses a uh, twenty seventy Ti uh, or twenty seventy Super, excuse me, a twenty seventy Super uh, Nvidia graphics card. That on its own uh, is more than half of the computer's cost uh, for that first upscaling rig that we did all of our tests on. It's just cranking out episode after episode. Uh, that itself is, I don't know, I can't remember, it's something around 500 US dollars. Uh, you also need to consider the rest of the computer. So motherboard, CPU, power supply, RAM, uh, storage. Storage is another really big deal. Uh, usually you kind of take that for granted, but uh, in one season of 4K is over 100 gigabytes, and you've got various iterations and versions of the upscales, you kind of need a few terabytes of storage. Uh, so we have, uh, let me count, we've got uh, about six different uh, physical storage devices, all between one and four terabytes, all with backups of these files uh, distributed uh, around the world. And at, along with that, we also have a few virtual, you know, cloud storage services, um, just to have a, a fair backup of all of this. Um, and that's also part of the reason why we want to kind of distribute it through torrent so that other people can share it as well. Uh, so other from storage itself, storage on its own, it must have been a few hundred dollars as well. So it, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. It's over $1,000 for a single upscaling rig. Um, now, if you have a computer that can play video games uh, at a decent 
quality and, and frame rate, then you can probably do the upscaling. It'll just take a bit longer or it'll be a bit quicker depending on your specifications. <clears throat> okay, so that brings me into the next point, which is give me a, if you can, or as best to your ability, a ballpark estimate of, obviously you don't know exactly how many man hours that other people have or woman hours, if you're listening. Uh, but how many? How much time have you invested ballpark? That's a tough question. Depends how you count it. Um, the computer, that one computer has been upscaling 24-7, or as close to 24-7 as we can get it uh, for the past, uh, what is it now, like four or five months? I don't know, I lost count. Uh, if you consider all of that time, then, I don't know, a few thousand hours, um, However, that's not human time. That's just computational time. That's not, like you said, man or woman hours. Uh, that's just computational hours. In terms of uh, how much I have invested, it's probably in the few hundred hours range, um, maybe between, you know, ballpark estimate between one and 200 hours uh, of physically sitting at a computer just trying to get everything to work properly. Now we did our best. There are different tools that you can use to do the subscaling. The two biggest ones being, uh, they're, they're both from a company called uh, Topaz, Topaz Labs. Um, they have one that's called Video Enhance AI, and there's another one called Gigapixel AI. Now, uh, Video Enhance costs, I believe, $200 per license. Um, Gigapixel is, it's supposed to be for picture upscaling, but they offer a beta version um, that we actually believe was a, a beta to video enhance and they just forgot to remove it from the web. Uh, you can download this for free yourself. Um, and it is a completely free software since it is technically in beta. Now, video enhance is better in many ways. It's more flexible. It's got a better user interface, uh, but it takes about the same amount of time as Gigapixel. Now, Gigapixel gives very similar results and it's free and you can automate it. You can run it using code. So what we did at Project Defiant, since we wanted more people to have access to this technology is we decided to use Gigapixel. We do have Topaz Labs, um, but we, I mean, Video Enhance AI, uh, but we generally use Gigapixel just to make it more accessible. Uh, so we spent uh, a few weeks at the beginning of the project trying to work out the kinks to try to get it as automated as we could. Uh, basically run one line of code there it is. It's now upscaled. Uh, and it'll generally work with almost every episode. There are a few episodes that require special attention for some different reasons. Um, so once we, but anyways, once we had that figured out, it's generally just run a line of code and it'll upscale. Other than that, it's just pressing a few buttons, setting a few settings. Uh, but yeah, in total, I would estimate it's probably between 100 and 200 hours sitting at a computer. Myself, at least. Has anyone has anyone approached you and about some of the the legal ramifications of the of the process? We've had a few concerned uh, uh, users, I guess, uh, ask us about this. Uh, fortunately, um, CBS Viacom themselves have not have not contacted us. We've been very lucky. We do know about uh, another uh, team that was also working on a similar project who did get a cease and desist letter from CBS Viacom. Uh, but fortunately, we've been able to steer clear of that, probably helped by the fact that I'm the only face of the project and my contact details are not really broadly available. And again, I use a VPN, protect my identity, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been very lucky. 
So do you all, do you online you you know you go through a great deal to protect your identity online. Do you also go through a great deal in your personal life to protect the fact that you're working on this project online? I do, I do. So uh, I'm not going to mention the specifics of it for security reasons and safety reasons. Obviously, uh, but the computer, the computer itself, it's not obvious what it's doing. Um, so and nobody physically around me knows that this is going on. Uh, so it's not physically a big deal. Now, the only big physical danger that I that I have here is the router. So the way in the United States, the way it works, and that's another really big danger, is that the internet, the internet service provider, the ISP, can, in some cases, monitor your traffic. So personally, I have another VPN installed on the router <laughs> uh, for I, to, to disguise my IP. And uh, I guess that's another sort of physical measure. But if you were to just walk into the space where I have the computer, you would not be able to tell what's going on with it. So that's also another precaution I've taken. I understand. So I've asked you a lot about the risks and some of the things associated with that, some of the things that um, I'm sure a lot of people you know, have questions about, which is why I asked it. But the, the next thing, um, you know, obviously, we're going to be releasing this podcast. This podcast public. No, we don't know anybody's personal information. Um, it's not that hard to find out myself or tech man. I'm sure if you did went digging enough, but I mean, obviously everything that we do is there's nothing that we engage in that we're worried about people finding out. Um, but if you, if, if someone from CBS Viacom were to listen to this, um, if someone come to them and say, Oh my God, this guy's doing this. And you know, he went on a podcast and we should listen to this podcast. What would you say to them? someone from one of those organizations, if they're listening to this, what would you want to say to them, the message that you want to get across, why you're doing this and what's going on? So I think if they've listened to the whole podcast, by now they'd kind of understand the objective of what I'm trying to do. And what I would want to say, if I could say it face-to-face or on a message or even hear hello if you're listening, is you have the legal right uh, to A, pursue me, and B, never do anything else with Deep Space Nine. There are people around the world who love Star Trek, and it's inspired some of us to live our lives in the way that we've lived them. Star Trek has built a universe where you can inspire yourself to hope for a better future. Deep Space Nine, while it's only a TV show and it's merely pixels on a screen, can really help to tell the story of inclusion, of wartime, of stress, and of friendship. And I think personally, if you're going to do anything with the future of Star Trek, you should consider working on DS9 again, scaling it, remastering it, whichever, whichever way you want to do it. DS9 has the quality and the qualifications to become very popular. If the mainstream public were to become as aware of DS9 as they are about TNG, I'm sure it would make a fairly fairly big impact so i would if i could say anything to this uh team member at cbs or viacom it would be please just do your best get ds9 quality and the attention it deserves and on a side note if you need to find me you can try good luck (laughs) (laughs) shade intended full offense all right so <laughs> um, just one more question before I'm, I'm done with my battery of questions. I do have one here. 
now that you've spent so much time, you see how much effort and everything that's involved on this under with this undertaking. Do you plan on if if they don't kind of, for lack of better terminology, get up off their asses and start doing some of this with the other shows? Do you plan on doing this with any other any of the other shows? I mentioned earlier, there's Project Pathfinder who's working on Voyager. They recently finished their 4K upscale as well. And uh, they're working on, they're trying to go a step further. They, they do want to redo the special effects. Uh, I think they already redid the intro sequence and they're kind of adding their own uh, special credits at the end uh, to credit their work. It's well-deserved in my opinion. Um, they're doing a lot. They're doing a great job. Uh, I don't know when they'll be finished and when they'll distribute it. Um, but when they do, you, you, you know, it's going to be a really good, it, great results, honestly. Now, I don't know anyone that's working on Enterprise, and I'm not sure Enterprise requires this level of work, uh, since most of the video, most of the live action, uh, is already a lot better than DS9 and Voyager. It's uh, really not that terribly compressed. Um, the special effects do need a lot of help. Uh, in some cases, again, I mentioned earlier with the Zindi, um, but generally it's not too bad. And I guess the, oh, the only other one that's left is uh, the animated series, which uh, <laughs> I've never watched. I've tried. I've tried. And it just, I couldn't get over the giant Spock. I couldn't get over the giant Spock. I have. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's, it's just, it, what it was is that they they finally got so excited that they could they didn't have to operate within the confines of current special effects technology, and they just went way the hell overboard. Uh, that's, ex- that's exactly what happened. I do have one more question now that it's actually just popped into my head. We started talking about legal ramifications. For people that are listening, is it, those people that are interested in, in obtaining this, well, this is a two-part question. Okay, number one, when it's released, how will people go about getting it? Number two, do they face any sort of legal ramifications for participating in this by downloading this? So, uh, number one, uh, we do have a Reddit account where we make the announcements uh, of when we're releasing uh, the different seasons. Uh, we've also gotten a lot of feedback on there, and we really appreciate if you've given us your feedback. Uh, so, if when this is released, if you want to get it, if you want to learn more about it, uh, you can go to the Reddit. Um, J216 uh, is my Reddit handle or Captain J216, CPT underscore J216. Um, you can go ahead and go through the posts. You'll find a post uh, by the time it's been released uh, stating that everything is released and all of the specifications. I won't directly mention where you can get it uh, because I don't want people getting in trouble. If, if somebody wants to get it, they need to look for it. They need to put in some effort to look for it. I don't want somebody inadvertently getting mixed up in something that could get them in trouble. And that kind of leads me to the second part of your question. So torrents, that's how we're distributing it, are kind of a legal gray area. Torrents themselves are not illegal. However, torrenting uh, a television series is illegal. Now, there is, again, it's kind of a gray area. There's this really weird thing where depending on what country you live in. If you own a physical copy of the media, you have the right to download it. So in, in some cases, and I, again, I am not a lawyer, please check before you do this. In some cases, if you already own a copy of Deep Space Nine and you download it, you might get a letter or something, but legally you may be safe. I still don't recommend just downloading things willy-nilly. 
if you're really interested in getting this uh, upscaled series, you can look for it online. In the Reddit post, there will be a description of how you can go about searching for it, how you can find it, uh, but you have to do that yourself. And you have to be aware of the risks of torrents. Be careful to download the correct torrent, or you might get a virus, uh, and a pretty nasty virus at that, usually. Uh, be careful not to pay for any of this. Don't input your credit or debit card or your payment details anywhere on the internet that isn't um, like an online store that's been vetoed. Uh, also, uh, be very careful. Uh, you usually want to use a VPN, a uh, virtual private network, when you're downloading torrents because, again, they could track your IP, uh, be it CBS or Viacom, or even somebody on the torrenting site. So just take a lot of precautions, be very careful, and be aware of the risks going in. Okay. And again, if you can, please get a physical copy of Deep Space Nine, especially if you can find a new copy online. That would be great. Show CBS you love DS9. I kind of want to go more back to the technical stuff. And I know we were having a discussion uh, before about the, the variable frame rate episodes. How did you resolve those? Or did you resolve them? So I should make a little footnote here. Uh, the term variable frame rate, I use it kind of loosely. Um, the colleague that does work professionally with these codecs would kind of kill me for, for using it so loosely. Okay, all right. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. It, everything is 24 frames per second, or at least it should be, and then every once in a while you get a 29 frame per second splice or a 30 frame per second splice in. So the way it works on DS9 is uh, the live action scenes have a different frame rate from the from the CGI scenes. Uh, so in the earlier seasons, it's not too big of a deal since they use models, uh, but it does start becoming a bigger problem later on. And even the intro sequence uh, has some problems since they use CGI for the for the asteroid. So for the comet. So the way we deal with it. Um, is that we first pre-process each episode um, in a software called Handbrake. And again, if you download the guide, it'll kind of take you through this. Uh, we kind of pre-process each individual episode in Handbrake to bring it to a stable frame rate. Now, this has been a bit controversial. We chose a 30 frames per second, which is higher frame rate than the original frame rate, be it for the live action or the CGI. And the reason we chose to do that is because we didn't want to lose any frame rate at any point. Now, the way it works is when you increase the frame rate of a, of a, of a video, uh, the computer basically inserts uh, duplicated frames. So just to give an extreme example, that's very simple to understand. If you have a video at, si uh, at 30 frames per second and you try to bring it up to 60 frames per second, each frame will be doubled. So to your eyes, it will look pretty much exactly the same the frame lasts twice as long. It is encoded in such a way that in reality it is two frames that just look identical, okay? So we chose, again, 30 frames per second to try to not cut down the frame rate of um, the, I think it's a CGI that has a higher frame rate. So the downside to this is sometimes because the frames are duplicated, you can get very slight audio um, uh, sync problems. Now, they're generally not very noticeable, or I should say they're not any more noticeable than the in the original DVDs. The DVDs themselves sometimes have some audio sync issues, uh, which is kind of annoying. Uh, so we thought it was a good enough compromise. Uh, you get basically the same quality of audio, audio to video sync, 
uh, but it's now all stable at a given frame rate, which just makes it a lot easier on the computer and for any post-processing that you need to do. All right, so all, all the episodes that are released by Project Defiant are at 30 frames per second as opposed to 24. That's correct. Now, there is a user, uh, I can't remember their name, I think it's Sandman or something of the sort, uh, on one of the torrenting sites that released their own 960p version. Now, the interesting thing with their version is they managed to maintain uh, the the what I call variable frame rate, which is, again, the fact that there are multiple frame rates within a single episode, okay? So uh, this person managed to fine-tune the process in such a way that they could maintain that. However, uh, they didn't have the time or resources, I'm not sure, to up, uh, to upscale as high as 4K. Now, I mentioned earlier, there is a point of diminishing returns. So if you look at the 960p upscale, uh, the original episodes, uh, I can't remember if they're in 720 or 480, but they're still lower resolution than that. If you look at the 960, it does look better than the original episodes, um, and it looks close to what you get with the 1080p or 4K, but it doesn't look exactly the same. The notices are uh, the differences are more noticeable if you have a larger screen as well. So if you have a sort of giant 55, 65, whatever inch television screen, you look at the 960 versus the 4K, then you'll start to see the differences. Um, again, she man, uh, this person managed to uh, upload it. Um, uh, quicker than we did since they only did a 960p upscale. So when you're looking for for uh, the DS9 upscales, you can choose. And again, I, I really like this variety. You can choose what's more important to you, to have the original frame rate, to have a slightly higher uh, visual quality to it. So there's just, uh, you can shop around, basically. All right, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, because I noticed when... Uh... You know, when you go to 60, it, it becomes more lifelike because it's it's what your eyes more used to seeing as opposed to more cinematic if you're at 24 or even 30. There's actually a, another AI uh, method uh, that we didn't bother to do since uh, some people like it, some people don't. And most modern televisions have this included and can do it in real time uh, where you can insert interpolated frames. But what that means is in my example, where if you go to if you start with 30 and you want to go to 60, if you do what we did, you just duplicate the frames and it looks pretty much the same as it originally did, minus some rounding errors. Uh, but when you're interpolating frames, instead of duplicating the previous or the next frame, what it does is it kind of calculates or it tries to find what would exist between the two frames, making it look a lot more fluidic. Um, so the um, the image kind of flows better. Like you said, it looks a bit more lifelike. Now, some people don't like it because sometimes, especially in series like DS9, where you have fast-moving objects every once in a while, it can make mistakes. So it can erase parts of other objects, make it look a bit more uh, artificial. It's kind of odd, hard to describe. But again, most modern TVs can do this in real time. So if uh, if you have one of those televisions, you can select uh, the interpolated frame uh, which has a different name on each television that's why I'm not calling it anything else uh, but you can select the interpolated frame features and get a more fluid image but that's up to each individual yeah it gets a little bit uh, weird when you're used to seeing it one way and then all of a sudden you interpolate it and you're like whoa what happened is this the real thing or is this kind of like a live action remake and there's also, uh, like, it's it's not just that. Sometimes, like, if you have a hand that's moving quickly through the screen, like somebody waving hello or lifting a phaser or something, um, the image can, the interpolated frame can sort of cut off parts of the hand, for example. 
uh, because it doesn't really it it doesn't identify it as a hand it just identifies it as a fast moving object so the interpolated frames will have parts of a body missing which is not super evident because it's just a single frame uh but it does kind of give it this weird visual aspect to it where sometimes you feel like something is wrong with the image because it feels like that person is missing part of their hand but you can't quite identify it it's kind of odd well and then you get you get the it seems like somebody watching i'll be like damn this looks half-assed basically yeah cool well kirk you got any other questions no no i'm good all right well um Jay, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today. I think this was really great. Um, you know, did you have fun? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was great being here. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope people can uh, enjoy what we've produced. Uh, and if you can't find it, if you don't want to download anything, you can also get the guide. Feel free to upscale your own series. Uh, if you want to watch Babylon Five and you can't get over the effects, go ahead, try upscaling it. Maybe it'll help. I, I know I'm going to try it in a while. Well, just to get on that note, Babylon 5 was probably the first show on modern television to use all CGI for their for their space scenes. So if you do upscale it, it will look rather odd. Because CGI technology was not as good as it was at the time. Mega CGI. Well, and it, it's true now, you know, now that... Uh, you know, we've been talking about this. I have tried to get my wife into Babylon 5 because, first of all, I think it was probably, if not the best, one of the best sci-fi series of all time. Um, just a side note, the showrunner wrote 92 of the 110 episodes. So you have an, an amazing amount of continuity and amazing amount of story flow and trapdoors for characters, and it doesn't detract from the storyline. But when you're looking at some of the Earth ships for the first time, not on a you know 240p television because that's what it was at the time, but kind of more on a you know if you happen to get it or whatever by any means, and you look at it on a you know even 480p screen, it will look very strange. It'll look like it's out of place. You're like, whoa! There's like space in the background, and this and this ship that's supposed to be there looks like it's you know it's like a it's like a cut and paste from Microsoft Paint kind of deal. Like somebody was really having fun with Microsoft Paint. That's what it looks like as it's, you know, moving across the screen. So uh, a, I think a CGI refit of Babylon Five would would serve it a lot better than than um, than other than other shows that use models like Deep Space Nine. Well, that's up to you if you want to try it. <laughs> but in any case, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I have the computing power at the time. I'd love to. That'd be great. But uh, to Jay's point, I think what he's trying to say is that um, if you have, if you support Voyager or Babylon, or uh, not Babylon Five, if you support Voyager or if you support Deep Space Nine or Enterprise, buy the DVDs, buy the official material, so that people take notice at Viacom, CBS, that hey, people are interested, and kind of force their hand into releasing a better quality version, so that everybody can enjoy. So don't be scared of using social media. Feel free to tweet at them if you want. I mean. It's important nowadays, so go ahead and do it. Tell them how much you want a DS9 upscale. Social media means more nowadays than actual news agencies. Yeah. So, Jay, um, you have the last word. 
right. So uh, I guess all I can really say is thanks for having me and live long and prosper. Well said. Well said. And this has been another episode of Trek Talk with Tech and Kirk on Techman 16. And I'm Kirk. And we'll see you guys next time.